you know by now that the dogs in my house wear Paco collars, and the newest addition is Stig's tan leather collar with brass fittings and turquoise stones. It seriously looks like the bay we bought our house on, and his smooth coat and long neck show it off perfectly. We picked it out in person at Paco's booth, and the staff helped us to be sure we got the exact fit and style that was right for him. I catch myself mesmerized by this collar when I walk him. How crazy is that? So get over to PacoCollars.com and grab a collar you'll be obsessed with, and don't forget to use the promo code COGDOG for free shipping. We've got a puppy. Puppy Elementary is my puppy training subscription service, and it's all about our new puppy, Watson. It's just $45 for six months of Watson's development and education, and you'll have indefinite access to the materials, so sign up anytime. Just go to www.thecognitivecanine.com and click the Puppy Elementary tab at the top of the page to register. Each week, you'll have access to multiple training videos and blogs, as well as constant access to the Puppy Elementary Facebook group, where you can talk about your progress with other students. Watson won't stay little for long, so join now. Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's me, Sarah Strumming of The Cognitive Canine, and this is called Dog Radio, a podcast about all things dog sports and dog training. Join me as I explore my cases and considerations regarding the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. I hope you enjoy it. competitive obedience training so kind of my first dog sport was competitive obedience and that happened a little bit by accident I fell in love with agility and the local dog training school required an obedience class uh, before you could sign up for their agility classes and so I took an obedience class and I found out that I actually really enjoyed the precision training required um and i was also kind of taken in by some really fabulous women who i will forever think of as kind of my other moms um and so i stayed in competitive obedience for a long time and i still train for it today um i don't compete very often but occasionally i do and in competitive obedience i was kind of taught and under the impression that the dog has to have this quality that they described as quote-unquote have to, meaning that the dog had to learn that they didn't have a choice in the matter. Um, The trainers that I worked with worked really, really hard to instill what they called quote-unquote want to, meaning teaching the dog to like the game, like the training, like obedience. Um, But there was always that level of have to as well. So, you know, once you got to a certain point in the training, you kind of proofed um, the dog's skills and you used corrections to make sure that the dog understood that if they chose wrong, there was a yucky consequence in store for them. And um, I remember specifically going to a workshop where 
the obedience trainer who was, is, um, just a very skilled dog trainer who I looked up to a lot and thought was really excellent. She said, um, you're not asking them that much. You're not asking that much. You're just asking them to keep their head up for less than a minute's worth of healing and (laughs) fetch the thing reliably. And it's just not asking that much. And so applying those aversive consequences when they didn't do what you asked them to do was considered not a big deal because it just wasn't that much to ask. And at the time, I totally remember agreeing with her. I totally thought, you know what, you're right. I'm not asking that much. You have a good life. I feed you good food. I take you to a good veterinarian. Um, I keep you groomed. I keep your toenails short. I make sure you get exercise. I take you to the park and play frisbee. I mean, I remember thinking, yeah, it's totally not asking that much. It's totally not asking too much. And today, as you may have guessed, I have a bit of a different opinion on this, a little bit of a different perspective. Today, it's really, really important to me that my dogs choose to participate in the games that I ask them to participate in. It's really, really important to me that... Um, there is no have to involved at all. That there is so much want to that the have to doesn't need to play in at all. And even within the positive reinforcement-based dog training circles that I find myself in and the online school that I teach for and the private online training that I do, I see way, way too many dogs who have too much have to in their head because you don't actually have to (laughs) you don't have you don't actually need to supply corrections or be nasty or use aversives to force some have to on the dog because when you break it down dogs don't really have that many choices in their own lives they have very very little in fact Uh, my dogs don't choose what they get to eat I choose for them they don't choose whether or not they are groomed or their toenails are cut. They don't choose, they don't even choose where they get to sleep. Um, I, I choose all of those things. They don't choose how they get to ride in the car. They don't choose when I put them in the car. Um, if I want to drive across the country to go to a competition, that's up to me and not them. If I want to put them on an airplane to fly somewhere to go to a competition, that's also up to me and not them. And so when you break it down and you look at how, how little choice our dogs actually have in their daily lives, it just rings so true that we need desperately to give them choices at least when it comes to competing and at least when it comes to the sports that we play. And so is that where consent comes in? It's where consent comes in, consent type of training, but it's also where Picking the sport that suits your dog comes in. And now, I am kind of a two-sport person. I've always done obedience and agility. I've had little interest in pursuing other sports. There are some things that I've enjoyed training casually, like tracking. Um, But I've never put a tracking title on a dog. And there are things that I think 
look cool, <laughs> but that I've never pursued, like um, some of the protection sports. And the bottom line is that if I got a dog that just didn't like dog agility, then that dog probably just wouldn't compete in anything. And I would work hard to make sure that that dog still had a great life and just as wonderful of a life as one of my competition dogs. But the dog would probably go to its grave without having any titles, which wouldn't bother me so much as it might bother that dog's um, breeder or my friends. And all of the dogs that I've had in my adult life have had titles, um, do have titles, have competed. But um, I'm very careful about making sure that they actually want to be doing what they're doing, which is why I haven't done as much competing in obedience. I find that um, my current dog who's kind of trained to those levels doesn't love obedience the way she loves agility and that bothers me. She does it. She does it beautifully. She does it with a smile on her face, but I don't see the same level of excitement um, that I will see in an agility trial with her. And so that kind of bothers me in the back of my head. I want to know for sure that if she had a choice, she'd say, yeah, let's do obedience. And that's just not where we are yet. So our current training is trying to help her get there, trying to help her see the fun in obedience because she has retired from agility and I want to do some more obedience training with her. And if we never trial in obedience again, she has her CD, um, but we would I would like to put her CDX on her this year if that's something that she would like to do. But if we never do, that's also okay because this is one of those areas where I think the dog should have a choice. And I just get a lot of dogs that come through some of my online classes who, for whom the agility environment is just too overwhelming and just too hard for them, especially when paired with maybe a green handler or an inexperienced handler who's, you know, trying to get there. You kind of need a dog that's going to be forgiving of those mistakes and enjoy the game enough that they can tolerate your mistakes. If you've got a dog that just is overwhelmed by the environment as is, and then you're going to make a lot of handling errors, they're probably not going to like this game. And I think it's really important for you to say that's okay. We can go do nose work or we can do, go do whatever. And I say nose work on purpose because nose work is one of the, is probably the only um, sport that in my opinion, seems to be universally well-liked by dogs. It's not universally well-liked by humans, but it is generally universally well-liked by dogs because it's a normal, natural thing for dogs to do, use their nose to find stuff. And nose work trials, um, at least the ones I'm familiar with, really set it up to be very dog-friendly in the sense that the situation should not be overwhelming with social pressure and there shouldn't be a bunch of dogs barking in their face that they've got to deal with and a bunch of people looming around. It's generally you and your dog in the working space with the judge watching. Um, and so maybe those are the things that you go and pursue with this dog if it's important to you to be competing. And who knows, you might find out that you love that sport. And that you don't want to do, you know, agility anymore or, or whatever. And it's also okay to rehome a dog that doesn't want to play the game that you want to play. 
Um, I might get in some trouble for saying that, but I, I believe that strongly that if, if in order for you to love this dog and care about them and give them a great life, they have to do dog agility, then maybe you need to find them someone else to take care of them and love them and give them a good life who doesn't need them to do dog agility. I think that's better than collecting dogs any day of the week. And, you know, maybe on the same, on the same token, maybe you can keep that dog and give that dog a wonderful life, but you'd still like to do dog agility. And in that case, it's okay for you to get another dog. I mean, so long as all the dogs in your care are getting exactly what they need, what's the problem with having a dog that stays home on the weekends on the couch because that's where he'd rather be um, while you take your other dog to compete? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's really, really important to appreciate the dog you're with and take care of them and understand that have to should not be should not really be in our vocabulary anymore. We have the tools and the skills to teach dogs to like the stuff that we want to do. And if we just can't seem to get there, because there are things that I can't, I don't think I could be taught to like. Um, I don't think you could teach me to like football, for instance. I think I'd have to be pretty deprived of some other things <laughs> in my life to like football. Um, and if you've got a dog that needs to be pretty deprived in their life to enjoy the sport that you have chosen, I don't think that's fair. That's like locking me in a room with no entertainment so that when I came out and you provided me with watching football, I learned to like football. I just don't think that's okay and I just don't think that's fair um, for anybody involved. I want my dog to love hiking and love dog agility and love obedience and love anything that we pursue together. It's very, very important for me that my dog learns just by default that if it's something I decided we should do, that it's going to be great for them. And they learn that through experience and just a reinforcement history of playing that game with you. And I see way too many dogs who are loping around the ring, looking around, kind of struggling and very, very happy to leave that ring. I'm thinking specifically of dogs who really wind up and get some speed when they know the end of the course is happening. Um, you know, these are dogs that maybe would rather be doing something else. And understand that that's okay. That doesn't need to be construed as a failure on your part. I think the failure is pushing that dog to do stuff that he doesn't want to do for the majority of his life for what so that you can say you did it so you can say you pulled it off that's not an accomplishment to me anymore in my life and that's a lesson that I learned a little too late um, because Kelso was definitely a dog who I think would have been happier not competing in anything um, I think he would have been happier just being a dog that got to play fetch in the backyard and go on walks um, preferably in remote areas <laughs> where we didn't see any other dogs. And I put very high-level titles on him instead. That was his life instead. And I just hope that with every dog in front of me, I remember that. And I remember that I actually regret pushing him to those levels. And I actually think that um, me kind of believing that he, that I wasn't asking that much, 
did damage to our relationship. And you guys, they just don't live that long. They're just not here long enough for that to be worth it. So think about that. Um, If you think I'm wrong, let me know. If you think I'm right, I'd like to hear that too. And I'd also like to hear your stories of where maybe you bent a little so that you didn't break and um, tried another sport or tried something else with the dog that maybe didn't want to do the sport that you got them to do. Thanks for listening to Cog Dog Radio. If you have questions or suggestions, shoot them over to cogdogradio at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to like the Cog Dog Radio Facebook page. And until next time, happy training.